Welcome to the Women of Wild podcast, where we explore what it means to be a woman. We will be discussing real life challenges from being a daughter, a wife, a mother, a single mom, and beyond. We're two friends living very different lives. One is married with all girls. The other is divorced with all boys. We're perfect bookends to speak from opposite perspectives on all the things. Our mission is to search out the heart of a woman and to pour into you wherever you are with real life wisdom, actionable steps, and application of the topics we discuss to continue our self-development into a wild woman. That is a woman of wisdom, impact, love, and dignity. So let's go. Today's guest is the author of I Am a Girl, My Father, My Hero. Gail McKine has worn many hats from childhood. She has always been a creative artist with the inherent spirit of an entrepreneur. She's been a realtor, owned her own salon, was a trainer and educator, has been highlighted on Good Day Atlanta, Peachtree Morning, and 11 Alive with Karen Greer. Gail is the co-founder of Your True, a global media ministry and platform to celebrate, impact, and promote the wonderful power of father-daughter relationships. She wants to use her words to impart and encourage girls to fearlessly pursue their destiny. Originally from Trenton, New Jersey, Gail now lives in Decatur, Georgia with her husband, Mike, and their two daughters, Evan and Erin. I am a girl. My father, my hero, is written in beautiful prose poetry from Gail's perspective as a girl growing up without a father. The girl writing in the story starts out young, carefree, and innocent, and as the book progresses, she is older and questioning the world around her more. Alongside each poem is a letter from her father, written in a way that she would desire her father to speak to her at that time and age. It is a lovely book on the importance of fathers in the lives of their daughters and is inspiring for both to read and enjoy. I am a girl. I am beyond my culture, beyond the visible. They are part of the sum total of my interior makeup. Like the iceberg below the ocean surface, the largest part is hidden below. Though each of us is similar with specific purpose, all, each of us different, common, complex, simple, sophisticated. There's only one of us, each one made for something good, something special. This is the father's response. My dearest daughter, I want you to know your heavenly father always sees you. You are the apple of his eye. You are a piece of his light. The more you get to know him, the more you know yourself. The more you know you are loved, accepted, acknowledged, just as you are. By God, our father, love, Papa. Welcome, Gail McKine. Hello. Thank you for having me. We are so glad you're here today. I met Gail in March of 2022. We were taking a, a course on trauma therapy, and I walked into this room in this church, and she had the biggest smile and just gave me a hug, and I was drawn to this woman, <laughs> and we've been friends ever since. If anything, I'm so glad I took that course just because I met you. Ditto. <laughs> I know that most of your career was spent as a salon owner, making people beautiful. 
but you started out in the Air Force. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I was trying to figure out what I really wanted to do with the rest of my life, so to speak. And I took the test to go into the Air Force. So I was there in the Air Force for four years. And that's where I actually met my husband. And how long have you been married? 34 years. Gail, I'm looking at your book and I can see that you have two very professional and special illustrators that you hired for your book, your daughters. Can you tell us about them? Well, first of all, they remind me of myself in different ways. My oldest, um, Evan, is she's 26 and my youngest, Aaron, is just turned 21. They're both very different, but they're similar too. Oh, I'll just say that we all love reading. We all love books. Evan is like a, she's a bookworm. We all love, one of our favorite places is Barnes and Nobles. So we both like to read. So Evan likes to read. Evan is more of a cave dweller. I'm definitely, uh, what is it called? Uh, I'm a cave dweller. I like, I'm more of an introvert, even though people don't think that about me. So she's more like that. She likes anime. <laughs> she loves karaoke. We all, we are as a family, but that's some, one of the things that we do together, which I like. Evan went to school to be a medical, medical manager or medical management. So which is the opposite of what she's doing. <laughs> she's working at Amazon. Evan likes to laugh. She's very spontaneous. But she's very methodical too. I, I like that about her. It's like one thing at a time. That's that's more like her dad. One thing at a time. Well, no, this is what we came here for. This is what we're doing. You know, when you go shopping with your daughters, you're thinking, oh, well, this is on sale and I really need this. And no, but that's not what we came for. She's more like her dad with that. Erin is, she's a wordy, she, she's the same thing as far as books and all those things, but um, she's a word junkie like me. We like words. We like the definitions of words. We like, she likes to write like I do. She is more of an extrovert than I am, definitely, and more so than her sister. She's more spontaneous and giggly, you know. <laughs> I remember when they were little, she would be the, the one that likes to skip. You know how kids just break out and start skipping down the street? Yeah, and even the, I think about a couple of months ago, she was doing that, and I was just, it felt so good. <laughs> kind of refreshing uh, to see her as a young adult skipping, you know. Who would think that that would make me smile and laugh, but it does. She's going to school for interactive design, which puts her English, her love for the computer, and uh creating and designing things, communication. So she would work for a company and create apps for them and do customer service and things like that. But they both liked to draw when they were younger and they're both creative in their own way. Before our interview, you were telling us about the influence your grandmother and her salon had on you and also your mother in your writing. I'd love to hear you share a little bit more about that. When I was younger, my grandmother had a salon in her basement. It was really beautiful. Everything she did was beautiful and first class. She was a very beautiful woman. She had a salon and I used to sit and watch the ladies talking in the salon. I used to be, I was so fascinated that they would come in and next thing you know, they they went from being brown hair to bright red and you know, they'd have a haircut that complimented their face. And I liked the fact that it was a community place. It felt like a warm hug when you came in. And like they would relax and sit down. And it was the one thing where you, I felt like this was their treat, them them like taking care of themselves and doing something that was just for them. You heard all kind of conversations about men 
and children, family, what women wanted, what they didn't want, what they liked, all kinds of conversations that I was probably too young to hear. But I just like the idea that women were coming together and communicating. I liked how they interacted with one another. I was fascinated. I always felt like I was some kind of a scientist because I was quiet and I was I would people watch all the time. And then I didn't realize that it was a talent that I had and I was going to use later on. But my mother also had that talent, but she never did that. She decided that she wanted to do something different. If I'm talking about my mother, then I would say my mother was a thinker and a plotter. And I'm kind of like that too. And she liked talking to us about, she wouldn't baby talk with us. She would, We would talk about the news and different things that were going on in the world. And she would talk to us about what was happening in our family. And, you know, and sometimes we'd have a family member that like um, one of my cousins that got pregnant when she was younger. She was still in high school and how the choices that we make. So she would use that as an example of how the choices we make when we're young can change our life forever. It seems kind of heavy, right? <laughs> I appreciate those conversations because it helped me from making mistakes that I, I could have made. So in high school, I, I realized how much I loved writing. And I had some amazing um, teachers in high school, English teachers that encouraged me to keep writing. How old were you when you decided you were going to go to school to do hair? That's kind of backwards. It's funny. I decided to do hair when I was actually in the Air Force. <laughs> in the Air Force, I was a, called a 702, which is, was a, an administrator. I worked on the computer all day. I looked at the green screen all day, pretty much. So I typed in orders for people leaving to go to different places. I typed in regulations and different uh, things that were added or taken away. So that's pretty much what I did in the Air Force. And I was like, this is not what I want to do for a living. And I was doing hair on the side. I didn't even realize it was something that I really liked doing. I was doing it on the side and making money on the side. And I said, I might as well go to school for it since I'm doing it. So that's what happened. I went to school while I was in the Air Force and graduated uh, in, in Florida. And then I got my license when I came to Georgia. Because my, when I, in meeting my husband, we decided we wanted to live here in Atlanta. So when you went to go open your salon, were you, was it in your mind to recreate what you had seen in your grandmother's basement? Yes. When I went to school, one of the things that I determined in my mind was that I was going to be an owner and operator like my grandmother. I was going to own my own business. I wasn't going to work for someone else. But even in doing that, I was like, what do I want to focus on? What do I want to master? And so I, I was a, um, I went to school basically to learn how to do color. So I wanted to be a colorist. I wanted to do hair color and maximize that. And uh, I always specialized in something. And I was always going to classes and doing something new. So once I got into the salon business, I decided I was going to chase after the thing that nobody else was doing. And I always thought of doing it just like with my grandmother. It, to me, it was ministry. My clients used to minister to one another under the dryer. The presence of the Lord was there. You can do church anywhere, can't you? Uh, yes. <laughs> so, Gail, I don't think it's a coincidence that the very thing that you were deprived of became the very thing that you were so passionate about. Can you talk a little bit about the timeline and the way the entire vision for the father-daughter dynamic came about? 
I never knew my own father, but growing up, I, I had my stepfather. And I do remember talking to you guys about how we lived in the perfect little house with the white picket fence. And I just remember the beautiful wood floors that were in the house and everything that you could want as a, a wife or a mom or whatever was in that house. And my mother had everything that she could possibly want or need, but it wasn't a happy house. So that doesn't mean because we see things on the surface and it looks good that everything is good. And we start wishing for something and it's like, but I don't really know when you go go past the door, if that's what it looks like and that's what it really is, you know, a lot of um, tension and struggle and different things going on. And it wasn't a place that my mother should have stayed in. And she realized that. And I feel like she was brave enough to take us out of that atmosphere because she didn't want us to grow up in that stressful atmosphere. And it was getting more stressful and it was getting progressively worse. But in her leaving that particular space in the time of the 60s, you you didn't do that. That was not the normal. Women did not leave their husbands. And if you did, it was possible that your parents would not support you in leaving. So they didn't support her in leaving. They were like, it's a, it's a lot of things that we have to deal with and put up with as women. So it was a that mindset of like, you know, you have all the nice things that you want, just, you know, deal with it. It's going to be okay. It'll get better. And my mother was like, nope, not bringing my kids up in this. And so because of that, um, we ended up moving to an apartment. And I think I, we were talking and I was telling you, we, it was called The Projects. <laughs> and, and I kept asking my mother, what is The Projects? Whose project is it? We went from the house and the green trees and the garden and the white picket fence to three-story apartment buildings, red brick buildings with no grass out front. It looked dusty, you know? They did have grass behind us and had playgrounds and stuff behind us, which I didn't know at the time, but that's all I saw it was like your first impression of something. So we went from greenery in a beautiful home to a dusty place. And I, when I was asking her whose project was this, because all I saw were mothers and their children in a place without men or land, I called it a land without men, women and children only. And that stuck with me, it stuck in my memory. So even as I started writing the book, that was still part of my memory. Because I didn't know my dad, I just had this uh, this voracious hunger for having a father. I would go to school in elementary school and see other kids with their dads, and we didn't have a dad in our household. And I think I told you guys, I would look at television and see uh, Father Knows Best or Father of the Bride. I would watch anything that had to do with fathers, anything where like a uh, quote, unquote, good father was in the picture. It was always there. I think it's always there in any of us because God made the perfect roadmap for us, you know, father, mother, children. But as a result of not having my father, that's one of the things that happened to me. I just had this voracious hunger to have a dad. And because he wasn't in the picture, and then I was in a land without fathers, so to speak, just women and children. When I would go to school, that picture was in front of me too. On television, it was in front of me. In school, it was in front of me. So there were constant reminders. And because of that, I just, I don't know, I had that longing. Gail, you wanted to 
share some statistics on what happens when there isn't a father in the home. Okay. This is from fatherhood.org and they have statistics that talk about um, the effects of what it's like when a father is not there or a father is absent. And it talks about greater risk of poverty, more likely to have behavioral problems, school, and uh, just in general, more likely uh, to have problems with the law and the legal system, more likely to commit crimes and be around the element um, or bad element and not making good choices and decisions. Girls are seven times more likely to become pregnant, uh, more likely to face abuse and neglect. Kids are more two times more likely to suffer obesity, two times more likely to drop out of school. Children with involved dads are less likely to be mistreated. Children who live with their dads do better in school. Uh, adolescent boys who live with their dads are less likely to carry guns and deal drugs and hang out with bad influences. Involved dads reduce mom's parenting stress. <laughs> That's a good one, right? <laughs> well, they're all, these are all good right here. Um, so I think that's more than enough statistics just to show the impact of when a dad is there and when he's not, and even having an involved father. In the acknowledgments at the beginning of your book, I Am a Girl, you describe a group of men as step-up dads. Can you tell us what that means and who you were talking about? One uh, weekend, my neighbors invited us to go to this church down the street. It's right on the corner. I remember walking into that church and it was indescribable almost. I mean, I can tell you, give you words, but it was just like, I went into that building and as soon as I went in, it was not like any other place I'd ever been in. I'd never been in church before. So I walked in and it felt like the embrace of love was in that place. It felt like God the Father was giving me a hug as soon as I walked through the door. I felt I felt a visceral hug, like God was telling me how much he loved me. Like, I, I'm your father. I'm, I'm what you've been missing. Uh, and that's, that's the only way I can explain it. <laughs> uh, and I, I still grasp for words because every time I think about it, I still have that feeling of how the Lord our father loves us so much that he will use anyone to bring us to a place to show us how much he loves us. And so going into that space, I just felt the presence of the father. I felt love like beyond anything I could think or imagine. I, I felt it. It was real to me. So I know we talk about the Bible. We, we read the Bible. We talk about the father's love, but that was a reality for me. And I think he wants everyone to feel and know that reality, whether or not they have a dad that was there or not there, that he wants to feel that space. So that's what I felt that day. And I'm, I'm looking back on it, telling you that, because at the time I was so overwhelmed. I didn't know. I, 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 I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't have words because I never, it was the first time meeting God the Father for real. And that it's not just a book that we're reading, or it's not just a fantasy or a dream, that God is really real. And uh, I almost felt like it was an unspoken prayer I had about my father. 
and I think it's an unspoken prayer in every girl or boy, but we're specifically talking about girls. It was an unspoken prayer that I had to have a father. And he met me that day. And we never left that church until I became like a young adult going into the Air Force, pretty much. (laughs) The men that I'm talking about in the book, like Pastor Clark, like Pastor William H. Clark Jr., with all of these letters behind his name, he was like, he had PhDs. He had all these letters behind his name. He did not have to be in that neighborhood. I believe God put him there in that neighborhood, on that corner, in that that church for us, even if it was just for the three of us. <laughs> but I know it was for more than that. But um, he was tall and handsome, and he reminded me of Clark Gable. My mother and I used to watch old movies all the time. I loved old movies. Anyway, he he reminded me of the brown Clark Gable. <laughs> And he was very smart and he was very, uh, he had a great sense of humor and he loved the kids in that church. He, you know, he loved us. He was a father figure to the children that were in that church. He would come, if you had a track meet or if you had something, he would come to your track meet. I didn't have, my sister ran track. That's why I'm saying that. But uh, he supported uh, the kids in that church and he was a very real presence. And he had, um, he had, he had one son, and his son was disabled. He was in a wheelchair. And just the way he loved his son was a picture of a father's love, too. And then there were other men in that church. That uh, that was one thing about that church. It had a lot of married people in that church that had children. So it was a good picture to see coming from the land without men to a place where there was a community of families and men that were head of households men that were going to work every day and taking care of their families and loving their families and loving God most of all. So it was an amazing picture. So Pastor Clark was one of those men for me. My Uncle Bill was another one of those men for me. Um, When my mother left the house and uh, was on her way to divorcing my stepfather, we actually moved in with an aunt. Do you know those old movies that you guys see where it's a house full of women and children. (laughs) So this, we were on a street called Southern Street. And on that street, my Uncle Bill was on that street with his family. My, my aunt's, Auntie Ruth, it doesn't sound, it sounds funny, but her name was Auntie Ruth. She was there with her family. Down the street was my Aunt Roby. My Aunt Roby reminded me of Lena Horne. She was beautiful. And she wore her hair in those, you know, Paulina Warren. I don't know if you guys know those movies, but (laughs) she wore her hair like that. She was just beautiful. And she had a beautiful spirit and presence about herself. But the house that we lived in was my Aunt Carrie's house. My Aunt Carrie, um, we were living there because my mom was in the process of divorcing my dad, my stepdad. My Aunt Christine was living there because she was in the process of separating from her husband with her two kids. And it was like a big family house. But down the street, all of our relatives lived on this street. That was one of my favorite times growing up, actually, because we were living down the street. We, we would go down the street and you could go down, go into any house and they would had some Southern cooking happening. My Uncle Bill's house was a house where everybody went and he took care of the family. If anybody had a problem, if anybody had an issue, 
and he loved God. He, he would talk to you about God and he would sing certain um, old school gospel songs. So he was kind of my first introduction into like a man who really loved the Lord. I don't think he went to church, but he would talk about God and he would talk about scripture and he would sing certain songs and I remember them. He was known in the community. He was a community leader. Um, if you needed something, he was the person to come to. I learned a lot about uh, men who took care of their families from growing up on that street that short time, about being around men who took care of their families and went to work every day and did what they needed to do. And also the women who, who helped to support them and uh, were there for them. The other person I have on here is Robert McKenzie, and that was my cousin. Because once my mother moved away from, once we moved away from that street and we moved to the land without men, but because of that, my mother was working, we would go in the summertime to stay with my cousin, who was married. And Robert was, uh, my cousin was Johnette, and her husband was Robert. And so he was another hardworking man that I saw up close and personal who took care of his family. And they were, they hadn't been married that long, but they offered to take care of us during the summer. They had a beautiful home and Johnette cooked all the time. <laughs> and uh, we were fat, happy kids staying there for the summer. So I had a lot of uh, what I call step-up dads. I had Robert, I had Pastor um, William Clark. Chuck was a friend of my mother's. Like as I got older, you know, my mother was dating him and he was, he was another person that was just kind of a step up person. He would come pick us up and take us to the movies on Sundays. And I don't know if you ever heard of Carvel ice cream. Carvel ice cream was the best ice cream in the world. <laughs> Soft serve ice cream. So we would go to a movie on Sundays. He would take us all to the movies and we would go get Carvel ice cream afterwards. That's what I call the step up dad. They all filled in little gaps where I, I felt like the Lord was just filling in all of the gaps. Nothing it will would be the experience of me knowing God the Father. He was the one that filled in everything. Who did you write this book for? And can you describe the person you had in mind when you wrote the book? It was for everything that I mentioned so far. To me, as a little girl who was hungry for a father, I guess I'm writing it to the dads because I want them to understand their role and how important it is in a, in a society that I think uh, diminishes fatherhood. Or a lot of times we'll watch movies or shows and there's no father in it. Even when the father is in it sometimes, he's a clown or he's unheard or made fun of or like he doesn't know what's going on. I don't like that picture. <laughs> at all. I think it's good for us to laugh at ourselves, but I think we need to have the true picture of what a father is. And so the step-up dads were a true picture. So I'm writing it to them for those who are stepping up even now today. And I think um, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And I want the fathers to know too, because even in my experience of writing this book, when I took the surveys for, uh, in, in my salon, I took some surveys about dads. The women that were under the dryer, they would write, they would fill out the questionnaire and it was a visceral experience. They would start crying under the dryer. And I was like, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> and so I would talk to them and they would be like, well, I, you were bringing up so many memories of my childhood and some of the things that I loved about my father. And maybe their father wasn't here anymore. He was deceased. But in writing, in uh, filling out the 
questionnaire, they would remember different things about their father that they really missed. And so one of the things might have been, what did you love about your father? And they would start writing about a story where they they love their dad. And can I read something to you guys? I like one of the questions and the answer, which I thought was beautiful. Of course, we'd love to hear some of the survey answers. Like in your own words, what is a father? A caretaker, a supporter, a provider, strong, caring, loving, a good listener. When I started, when they started reading them and filling them out under the dryer, the tears were not what I thought it was about. The tears were more more about, I miss my dad, or this is one of my memories of my dad, or, oh my gosh, my dad taught me to be strong. He taught me to think for myself. Uh, One of the ladies said that her dad taught her how to change her oil and how to uh, fill up her tires and check her tire pressure. My dad was my first date. That was one of them that I read. So he, he was the picture of what I wanted in a man. And that, you know, he would talk to me about not accepting less than. When I wrote the questionnaire, even in my perspective of a father, because my father wasn't there, my perception was somewhat slanted. It was somewhat negative because of the fact that my physical dad, I never knew him and he wasn't there. And I don't think he ever came to, and he did. But at the time I was like, I didn't think he had come to look for me or care about me or anything like that. So my perception was slanted to the negative. So when they were talking, they were under the dryer crying, I was thinking they had negative stories to tell, but it wasn't. The majority of their stories were positive. The majority of their stories were about how much they loved their dad and how uh, some of them missed their dad because he was no longer here. This is a passage from I Am A Girl, my father, my hero. And I just want to read part of the reason I wrote it or what, why this is important. Um, so I said, as the God-ordained head of the family unit, the impact of the father is imprinted throughout local and global communities. Men of unwavering integrity who love and lead their families and live out their God-given roles are the best examples of an action hero. They are integral to our survival. One girl, one boy, one family, one community at a time. Fathers are the ultimate role models, the true game changers, and we are calling you out. We are calling you out, fathers, celebrating you, lifting you up in prayer and giving you a global shout out. Your encouraging this divine dynamic relationship is one of the most important things that we can have. It is a treasure to us. My hope is that this book will speak to the hearts of girls and dads around the globe, present future daughters who are calling fathers to a global awakening of the courageous, lion-hearted king, cherishing protector, the first and last action hero, our fathers. We desperately need you. We can't do without you. We won't blossom with ease We won't blossom with ease and unnecessary fear, doubt, and insecurities will mount without your presence. 
The world is a terrible place without your protection. So I ended this by saying, Papa, I need you. I am a girl. So fathers, we need you. Your presence is necessary. I'm going to stop there. I want to say this because I might not have said it before, but one of the things I realized too, when I started talking about step-up dads, like, you know, my brother, my cousin that stepped in, my pastor that stepped in, um, one of my mom's friends and different uncles that stepped in. Sometimes we start really not loving our absent fathers. We just start having a bad attitude or we think the worst. And sometimes we have people in our ear telling us the worst things that they were and what they did. But one of the other things I realized when I took the survey were that there were some women that repaired their relationships with their fathers and they became uh, a loving, wonderful relationship. They, they came into that relationship with their dad. They decided that I want to make this work. Either she went back to the dad or the dad came to her, but they decided that, you know what, we've lost all this time, but we have now. So we're going to move from this point forward. Healing can happen at any stage. I, I like to tell people it's not, yes. it's not too late. Well, even with you, Sally, you're, you counsel families and um, you have a, a background in helping, you know, families in a challenging situations or whatever. I think one of the thing that, things that happen is when, um, even if they're no longer here, we can write them a letter. We can write out our feelings in a journal. We can, um, you can burn it up if you want to, <laughs> but you're releasing all of that stuff that you were holding in. You can go get counseling. Of course, we know that, but it's not good to hold on to all of those feelings because it, it affects our everyday life, our emotional well-being, everything. So it's, it's good to release those things. So I want to ask you because you're breaking that cycle. You said you've been married to your husband for over 30 years. Yes. How did you break that cycle in your own family? Well, one of the things about Michael, when I met him, um, I loved his family. I loved that he was a man that loved his family. I loved the fact that um, he came from a two-parent household. That was really important to me. And I would, you know, me, I feel like I have this somewhat scientific brain. It doesn't always come into play, but I'm always calculating and watching because I think sometimes we don't watch and listen enough. I think we take people's word for, for things and we don't, you know, you take it at face value. I'm not, I don't do that always. Sometimes I do, but for the most part, I'm a thinker and a plotter. So watching him with his family, with his mom, the way he would talk, he would talk to his mother every single day. And uh, they had a funny relationship. He would call he would call his mother and pretend that he was somebody else. He would pretend he was an insurance man. <laughs> you know, he would pretend he's taking a survey for the government or, um, I mean, he had all so he these had different characters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he would use different voices. <laughs> he's a very expressive, creative person, too even though he has the accountant's mind, which, you know, I don't have that as much. <laughs> I'm the creative person. But um, 
all, saying all of that, it, I just kind of listened and watched his behavior. And it's like, okay, I want your actions to coincide and what, with what you're saying. I think you're like this, but I don't really know. And I think um, one of the things we have to teach our daughters is even when you're dating a guy, you're dating their family. You need to be around them and see how they respond with their family. And uh, the way he talked about his sisters, the way he talked about his mom, his his pop, even though his pop doesn't talk talk that much, he's he's kind of funny. He talks when he wants to, but what he does is usually something really funny or he's challenging you. So I will say this too with, with uh, Michael. I, I like watching him with our girls. So he had a good relationship with his father. He's like his father in a lot of ways as far as that methodical, like, you know, his father would get up and read the newspaper from front to back. He he likes, he's a news junkie still, my husband is. I'm not anymore. Um, he's also like his mother in the sense that he is very caring and nurturing. And it may not seem like it, but he's a pretty sensitive person. So, um, so I see that with my girls. So when he would, he was teaching them how to ride their bikes or we would go to a play or we would go to something. It was like all of the things I wanted as a girl. So he, he was a person that did that. So uh, I really believe that God did put us together. Not to say that we have had the perfect marriage. It's been very challenging in some instances, but we're still here. <laughs> I bet that fills your heart to see him with your girls. It does. It does. You know, kind of redeeming what was lost before, but being able to to invest that in your own children. Mm-hmm. And it still warms my heart. Like when I, when we're in the mall, you know, one of my favorite places kind of people watch is like the airport, the airport, you always see families coming together. I love uh, that idea that you're coming to meet someone, you're coming to pick them up, you're dropping them off, but you see a lot of reunions at the airport. When someone, Oh my goodness. I haven't seen you. I don't know. I love that. And um, yeah. I love seeing dads and daughters together. And I see that quite a bit. So I think sometimes we just don't see it, but it's, it's, it's here. Um, it's good news too. We have fathers that stick and stay and do the right thing. And we have our step-up dads to come and fill in um, all of those little spots. And, and um, I don't know. I just think God loves us so much that he will, you know, he will fill in those, those spaces, those places of lack, you know, he knows our heart. So he knew my heart as a, as a girl. Let's take a minute to talk about the layout and structure of the book in on the Amazon link. It's listed under the genre of poetry, but it's not typical poetry. Can you describe the layout of the book and who, who is speaking? In the layout of the book, in the beginning, I was saying that part one of the book is very idyllic. Part one of the book is talking about a girl with aspirations and dreams who is encouraged by her father. And she's like imagining all the things that she can be, will be. She loves being a girl. Part two of the book is when she starts questioning, well, this is what I know and this is what I've been taught, but this is not what the world looks like. My father can teach me about these Sunday school lessons and what God says is the truth and about righteousness and the right way to do things. But my rebellious nature wants to go in the opposite direction. So the father's voice is talking to the little girl and telling her, well, I know that this is what you see, but this is what God says. This is what love says. 
this is what our true father says. How do you see it transition in three and part three and part four of the book, where it is more poetic and the the voice of the girl is more poetic, and then Papa and Daddy are responding in letters. How does it transition into part three and part four as far as the girl's mindset and outlook? I think in part three and part four, she's older. I think she's experiencing how the world and culture look at women, trying to reconcile it. almost feel like she knows what the truth is. She knows about faith, and I believe she does have faith, but she's still trying to reconcile it. She's still just like, this, this doesn't make sense. How, how do you not love women if you came from women and you should love your mother and father, which means you should love girls and love your daughters. And so you should treat them with love as opposed to treating them like an object. I feel like this whole book is grappling with what the world and the culture says about us and how we're supposed to do the right thing, but it's so hard to do the right thing. And without God, I don't think we can do the right thing. Can't do it without his love. I can't do it without acknowledging him as my father and knowing who true love is, that love is a person. Or the father's love is the only thing that will really satisfy us. And I feel like that's when I went into church that day, that's that's what I felt that day. Like I was whole. There was a fullness. There was the um, embracing of what love really was. And that it's beyond the physical, it's beyond what I thought I knew. It's a supernatural, beautiful, <laughs> otherworldly thing. I had just one more before you break out of that part is some of the letters are signed by Papa and some of the letters are signed by Daddy. What is the differentiation there? And I'm not sure if that came from me and how I was feeling at the time, or I just feel like both of them are terms of endearment. And I think, I think daddy is more a term of endearment. Like, you know what? I'm still a little girl at heart. I still there. I still want my father's love. I still want to be accepted and acknowledged and seen and loved you know, as a person, and it is my gender. Part of this is about gender, but part of it is that as a girl, I'm, I'm a person. I have thoughts and ideas and hopes and dreams and wishes. It's not just, I want you to see me beyond my body. And I feel like that's what the world is not doing right now. So God gave me this body. It's a beautiful body. I birthed things from this body. And that to me is an, a miracle in itself. <laughs> I mean, I've done that, but it's just like, am I doing or is God doing? But I'm just, I'm just like, he gave me this body and another person comes out. That's a, a miracle. It's overwhelming, isn't it? You mentioned earlier about the kind of love that you felt when you walked into the church and, uh, and, and how that was something that you couldn't put into words and, and wrapping our heads around the kind of love that God gives is so very different from what the world teaches love is. It's overwhelming. Yes. If I were to ask you guys, what did, what does the father's love feel like? I don't what how would you describe that? I was thinking about this recently and all these P words came to my mind. This happens to me sometimes when I'm just thinking about stuff, but he's personal. 
He's pleased with me, patient with me, protects me, pursues me, provides what I need. And I had an experience this spring that was really special where I really experienced God's love in a new way. I went on this retreat and it was um, kind of an elusive, like they didn't give us a lot of information, but it was a retreat to just kind of grow in our faith and um, find our joy in the Lord again. And I went there and at lunch we were asked, what is it that we would like to get out of this week? And I really was looking for clarity. I was thinking about starting this podcast. I was doing some different coaching things. I was looking at working with this organization, Pathways to Life. I had all these kind of different things, and I was wanting God to show me what direction am I supposed to go in. And so there, in the afternoon, we were just supposed to kind of reflect and spend some time, and I really felt this pressing on my heart, the Holy Spirit telling me, this is not a a couple days about figuring out your life. It's not a business meeting kind of trip. This is, God just wants to enjoy time with you. And it made me think about with my husband, if we were going to go away for a weekend to really grow our relationship, we don't need to talk about like life the whole time, like kids and jobs and home. It'd be fun. We just want to enjoy each other, have fun, do things, get to know each other again, that kind of thing. And so it was like God told me, I just want to spend this time with you like a weekend away. And that was really special. But I I just felt so loved in that moment because it wasn't about doing anything. It was just about being. And I think that's often missed when we think about the Father's love. Sally, that is such a great reminder of how different God's love is from the love that the world teaches us. It's a be still and receive kind of love. And to try to put into words what that feels like, that's, I mean, it's just a melting, just melts me. Yeah, it felt like that too. Yeah, it is kind of out of this world. It is kind of indescribable. It is, you know, and the enemy wants to keep us from it. You know, he wants us to, he wants to separate us from it somehow. And I think that's kind of the attack on girls and girlhood period, because one of the things that a father does to me, his love nurtures us as a girl, his love um, protects us as a girl. It gives us the opportunity to be a girl, to be innocent, to have, um, innocent play and to delight in the little things and to um, enjoy nature and to feel free. And I think when that's cut off in any way, and we're trying to make young girls into adults, so we're trying to sexualize them early, that it steals their childhood away. I feel like we're in a society that wants to steal childhood. In elementary school, I don't need someone else to teach my child about what sex is. In kindergarten, I don't need someone else telling my child what gender they are. That's uh, what do I believe? So does the state own my child all of a sudden? Or is it still that the two parents that birth this child can teach them about morals and values and what they believe? 
and that this physical body that God assigned it to me, God gave it to me. And it's something so beautiful about it. Not only can I birth things from my body, God gives me creative ideas and thoughts and I'm innovative and I, you know, I can be an engineer too. <laughs> I can be a mother at home and a caretaker and a nurturer too, which is the most important job and one of the most important jobs in the world. So don't limit me because of the physical body that I'm in. But at the same time, I want you to recognize that it's a miracle from God that I'm in this body and it's designed by him and it's assigned to me from him. That's what I believe. I believe in God's blueprint for me. I'm a feminine, female, girl, lady, woman, mystery. <laughs> and I'm unraveling every day, right? <laughs> I'm not, I'm more than what you think. And so it takes time to get to know me. You chose some very special illustrators for your book. I know you mentioned earlier before we did the interview that you had a professional illustrator and you weren't as happy with their work. So you decided to have your daughters illustrate the book. I'd love for you to share a little bit more about that and how you came to that decision. Because when I wrote it, I didn't want the artwork to be by an adult doing children's art. I wanted it to be a child doing it, like responding to what I was saying. And uh, I think at the time they were nine and 11, I think, but just thinking about that and how they responded and the artwork that they put in it is perfect for what each page is. And sometimes I was feeling like the topics were kind of heavy, but at the same time, we have a way of wanting to shield them from the world, but the world is already rushing in because they're talking about this stuff and seeing this stuff at school. Yeah. And they're actually online looking at things that, you know, we think is inappropriate or they shouldn't be looking at, or they click on one thing and it leads to something else. And so they're seeing a lot of what the world has to offer and what's going on in the world without us even knowing it. Anyway, the artwork is appropriate to each page. <laughs> I love the one where he, she wrote a little note above the guitar and she put, sorry, I don't know how to draw guitars. And you left it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> No, I just started laughing too <laughs> when I saw that. I was like, but she did a great job, I thought. I wouldn't have been able to do that. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't have drawn that guitar. Even like talking to you guys and going back through the book again and going through um, some of these surveys, I was getting really emotional. But I, part of the emotion is the fact that because of my lack of having a, a dad there, my dad, and I never, I never knew. And I know why my mother separated us. It wasn't a good situation. It made me realize the importance of it. And so maybe that's part of my reason for being on the earth. I think we all have uh, a purpose and maybe it's a limited purpose. Maybe this is my purpose for the next year, the next two years. I don't know how long it's going to last, but for right now, the Lord has pulled me back into this space again where I want to highlight the importance of fathers and I want the church to highlight it. And I really want women to uplift men and highlight the importance of men being who they are in their true identity in Christ and that they are the king and the priest of the house and that they, their role is separate and specific from our own, but they're both just as important. And God did that on purpose. <laughs> our children need both of us. 
you bring something that your husband does not bring. And he created the quote unquote nuclear family, which we say is disappearing, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to believe that. <laughs> I'm going to believe what the Lord says and that he's reinforcing the family and the blueprint that he made because it's, uh, it's our basic and it's our, I don't know, it catapults us into our purpose. We have our two parents, like you were talking about on your podcast and each one of you bring something different. And now look at your daughters going off in different directions, but they couldn't do that if they didn't have the foundation and they didn't believe in themselves and they didn't continue to finish school and they didn't have parents that encouraged that. And, you know, they didn't have a dad that might've talked to them and said, well, let's see about what, what kind of choices you're making right now. And where do you think you want to go? And let's, well, okay, let's, let's make a plan. They started out with a firm foundation. That's all we can do. Mm -hmm. Try to instill that. Mm -hmm. But I love how, even if they didn't, you know, like you said, growing up without a father, yes. the passion to see how important that was. Yes. You know, God can take anything that's negative in our lives and help us turn it into something positive. Yes. I love that about him. <laughs> if you could go back to your 10-year-old self and give her a piece of advice or message of encouragement, what would you tell her? Well, I'm going to just say the first thing that came to mind was, you're more than enough. You're more than enough because you're God's girl. God, God made you more than enough. That's where your confidence is. So I would just tell her that you can be confident because you're who God says you are. God says you're beautifully and wonderfully made. God says you're brilliant. God says you're beautiful, but the beauty is from inside out. That you're loved and valuable and treasured because he loves you. He values you. He treasures you. He made you who you are. You were a thought, man, see, I'm going down the road, okay? <laughs> You're a thought of God. You're God's idea. You are, um, wow, you're God's idea. Just think about that. Sally is God's idea. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, before the earth was even formed, God knew about you already. He had already decided what kind of person you were going to be, your characteristics, your gifts and talents. He knew that you were going to be creative, that you were going to sew. <laughs> uh, he knew that you were going to uh, have your children and love them and love on them and uh, help them to become. He knew the husband you were going to meet already. He knew everything about you already. He had already plotted and planned something good. So I can take confidence in the fact that he sees me, he knows me, he loves me, and he has a perfect plan for me. If we, if we can lean into that, or we have our girls lean into that early on. I, th I think I need you to call me and tell me that every day. <laughs> that just filled me up. <laughs> Learning about yourself and knowing who you are, I think is one of the best things a girl can do. And I think fathers can help with that. So the listening part of a dad and having conversations with your daughter, I think is really important because you're challenging her thinking and you're challenging her to think and say that, you know what, what you say is really important. I want to hear what you have to say. Oh my gosh. How powerful is that for a dad to do? I mean, your dad did that for you, right? He did a lot of talking. He's a talker. So I probably did more listening than talking. But we did, he did listen and he did take the time to do that. And he, 
he would write books and papers and give them to us and, and the grandkids. And I was a younger girl. I would probably be less interested in listening and maybe roll my eyes and have some of that attitude. <laughs> but I listened. It did sink in a lot of it. And as I'm older, I appreciate those conversations more. Yeah. See, I love that. But you see, you probably got so much out of that and you felt like you were being heard. As we're talking, you know, two women talking about fathers and daughters, I think the more we talk about this message and we get it out, the more we um, celebrate men that are, there are many men that are doing the right thing. We don't hear about them. And see my expectation when I did those, those surveys, I'm thinking it's going to be more negative because the culture in the world says that fathers don't stick around, that fathers don't stay, but it's not the truth of everything that's happening. So we have plenty of fathers. We just don't highlight them. What final thoughts would you like to leave our listeners with today? Ah, I had a page in here that I just think I just want to read. I am a girl and my father is my hero. We girls call you forth. We join spiritual hands around the globe and pray for fathers of courage, boldness, strength, kindness, and gentleness. The roaring lion that covers us with wisdom and leadership, a return to family headship with integrity in every fiber of your being. We are calling you out. Anyone who would harm us your precious daughters, we are calling you out to be our protectors. Anyone who would deny us blooming, you are still our protectors, our nurturers. Daddies, love and respect the girls God gave you to protect. Daddies, shelter them and teach them by example what to expect, what to accept in a man by hanging around and being yourself the man. I am a girl, we are your daughters. Your behavior is our greatest living example. You sticking and staying and working and speaking and treating our mother with respect, listening without interruption, encouraging us to express ourselves, affirming our thought processes, helping us with homework, breaking down the math, teaching us to work things through with logic first, leaving the emotions and the feeling stuff as a balance second and third, knowing how to separate, to discern, encouraging with the science project, putting in your two cents, taking us prom shopping, telling us about your job and showing us the budget and how to create one allowing us to help as you pay the bills, coming to our games, recitals, our Christmas plays, our concerts, or our dance audition at Juilliard, maybe even a piano concert for the Philharmonic Orchestra. We need you. You are a constant, consistent presence, no matter what. Your presence is invaluable, and there is nothing better, more important, 
are more impactful in the whole wide world than men being good husbands and loving fathers to their big little girls. We are getting close to the end of the interview. And there is a very special letter at the beginning of the book. And I've heard you read it at an event and it was so touching. And I would love for you to share the story behind that letter and for you to read a small portion of it so that people can hear how special it is. When I was writing or I was at the end of the book and I'm ready to publish the book, there were certain things that I wanted to be a part of it. So I wanted my dearest daughter to be written by a man. Um, at that time, I was at, at a retreat when I was finishing my book. And Allison Lusted, and I cannot remember her husband's name right now. <laughs> I'll text it to you so you can acknowledge him. They had read the book and they had listened to, you know, they read through everything and they just really loved it and supported me in, in the writing of it. So I asked um, her, her and her husband actually collaborated on this letter. So they were like, okay, we looked at everything in the book and we're going to write what we think you might want to hear as the girl. So Allison and her husband, uh, they did the letter together. And Gail, why don't you share with us the last paragraph of that beautiful letter? You are enough for me. Be yourself. Laugh a lot because it makes my heart smile. Cry when you need to because I catch every tear. I am your perfect father. I can heal your heart and make you whole. I have an amazing plan for your life. A plan that is good if you will listen and obey. Draw near to me, my precious girl, and I will draw near to you. Even when you think I'm a million miles away, I am near. Sometimes I just long for you to draw closer and to seek out hidden treasures of who I am in my word. You are not too young and you will never be too old to be daddy's girl. I am proud of you and I love you with an everlasting love forever, Papa. I think that's a beautiful way to end. Thank you so much, Gail, for being here and taking the time. And this has been so much fun listening to you and hearing your story and hearing the story behind this book. I really hope that many of the girls and fathers out there are encouraged. Gail, I want to echo everything that Sally just said. It's just been an honor to get to know you and to unpack your beautiful vision for this book and your beautiful vision for changing future generations between fathers and daughters. Gail's social media links and her website where you can purchase her book, I Am a Girl, will be available in the show notes. Well, I want to thank you because I feel like you propelled me or put pressed me forward with what God was telling me to do. And because of you, I'm pressing forward with the website and the other thing, social media things, because the Lord has been pressing me to do this again, to pick back up what I left behind. And I feel like this is a time where more than ever before, we need to celebrate fathers and the father and daughter relationship and the perfect father who has everlasting love for all of us. Thank you for being wild women and inviting me 
<laughs> women of the wild. I'm a wild woman. So thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know what you liked and what your main takeaways were. We'd also love to know what topics you'd want to hear about on future episodes. To connect with us further on social media or to learn more about our services, click on the links in the show notes or email us at womenofwildpodcast at gmail.com. And if you know anyone that would benefit from hearing this episode, please share it. To continue the discussion about this episode, join us in our private Facebook group. The link will be in the show notes. Until next week, stay wild. <laughs>